0: Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to Retire Smarter. Hello again. Right back here on Retire Smarter, Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio. And uh, it is a great way to start out 2020 with a brand new episode of Retire Smarter. Kevin, great to talk to you once again. And although we at the time of this recording have not flipped the calendar page to the new year, if someone's listening to this show, they have done that already. So uh, Happy New Year, early to you, but on time to everybody else.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, Happy New Year to all the listeners, and uh, we're kind of in the home stretch before Christmas here, uh, having a six-year-old. It's quite a fun time in the Krosky household. We got to have a Santa brunch over the weekend, and uh, I don't know if it's my daughter's watching too many YouTube kids shows, and she's kind of coming onto this. But, um, you know, the elf on the shelf visited our home on December uh-huh. 1st. Our elf's name is uh, Sprinkles, and uh, my daughter is actually somewhat concerned that she is not going to have any presents under the tree and is instead going to have a lump of coal. So I, I <laughs> love the elf on the shelf. It is just a very powerful, powerful thing to have in your home.
0: That is too funny. Um, do you not find the elf on the shelf creepy
1: at all? Creepy? Uh, No. I heard another young parent uh, with a three year old say that they did not want to do it because he had to move it around every night and get creative and kind of um, come up with some new scene. And and I just told him point blank. I'm like, you're really missing the boat here. One, it, it's that, fun. but two, That's the point. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's fun. Um, but two, it's... <laughs> I, you know, my daughter is fantastic. She is a little sweetheart. And yes, I'm completely biased in saying that. But um, she is a really well-behaved child. And you know, it's nice to hear those sorts of compliments from her teachers and from others, but, um, it, it is pretty remarkable just the power of this thing. So she, if she does anything that mom or dad don't like, and we just, you know, kind of gaze over at the elf, uh, she gets, uh, you know, back straight and at attention in, in quick order. So, uh, I love it.
0: That is too funny. Uh, The elf on the shelf, helping parents uh, for the last decade or so. (laughs) A fantastic little invention for folks to utilize. Well, uh, hopefully everybody uh, is on their best behavior through the uh, beginning of 2020 and uh, Christmas and the rest of the holidays go smoothly or went smoothly for all. Well, as we turn our attention to January and the new year, I know that your eyes often start to yearn for a little bit warmer location and you kind of get your heart set on experiencing the warmth in the sands of the Florida coast. And we're using that as our inspiration for the next couple of episodes of Retire Smarter. Today, Kevin, we're talking about snowbirds and in particular four financial tips for folks who may have their heart set on currently or perhaps one day it's in their goal To retire, or as they transition into retirement, to become snowbirds themselves—certainly a common phenomena among many Ohioans, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So, if I back up a moment, starting in 2010 or 2011, uh, I was uh, in a membership group. For different wealth advisors, and we would meet twice a year. And for obvious reasons, uh, we would go south in January, and uh, we would often be in Naples, Florida. So I, I had affinity for the area. Certainly, liked to be outside, to be active, and not just kind of stuck on the inside. And uh, I set a goal with my wife that hey, I'd I'd like to do the snowboarding thing, and I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. We didn't have any children at the time. My first daughter came in 2013. But after she came, the intent was my wife was going to go back to work. Uh, she was a greeting card writer at American Greetings for 10 years. And she was you know, going to be uh, a mom and go back to work and do a four-day-a-week thing. And when the time came, really, biology took over, and she just didn't have the heart to leave our daughter, Aubrey. And uh, you know, we ran the numbers and thankfully you know we weren't in a position where she had to go back to work and we could just be a one income family uh, but then after that transpired uh, quickly my mind just said well hey if you don't have to go back to work all of a sudden we had this newfound flexibility and You know, for me, being uh, my own boss, you know, I certainly have uh, different client duties that I have to do, responsibilities that I have to meet, and what have you. But uh, there's some flexibility that I have to meet those from maybe afar, and let's go ahead and try this thing out. So our first year, we actually went down to Hilton Head, South Carolina in January, and it was great. Uh, You know, it was still relatively cold. I think the average temperature was in the 40-degree range. Uh, We just did one month just to give it a shot and just see how it went. Really just worked remote. I really worked at a kitchen table. And it was just more of a trial run. Let's just see how it goes. Uh, Let's see if we like it. Let's see if I can do what I need to for the business. And and then maybe we can get more serious about doing something more for longer. And so we did that in 2014. So since 2014, uh, my family and I have been Florida Snowbirds. Oh, that's gone anywhere from you know, being down there for about three months to uh, actually one year we were there for seven months uh, there are some personal reasons for that um, and we'll dive into uh, it was all good stuff but we spent a fair amount of time there so we really enjoy going back and forth we love when we get to florida in january or late december and feeling the warmth and seeing the sun and all the green and then when we come back in uh, usually around april or may uh, we love seeing some hills. Uh, Florida's pretty flat. Uh, we love seeing some of the places and people that, that we've missed. We love seeing our Ohio home. And we just really feel like we have the best of both worlds. And over time, what uh, has happened also is our, our client's base has grown. Uh, I would say somewhere on the order of about 15% of our clients uh, are snowbirds. Uh, you know They've got their place in Ohio. Uh, they have another place. Generally, it's in Florida. We have a few Arizonans, Arizonians, however you say it. We have a few people that uh, actually go down to Georgia as well. Actually, somebody that's gone down to Chile for the last four years, uh, so a little bit more international there, but, but it's become more common. And what I figured we'd do, we kind of kicked this off a few episodes ago when we went through a list of the top 10 retirement cities, and I believe, I think five out of the top eight were in Florida, and we can link to that in the show notes, but it was a pretty good study with some objective and measurable criteria that you can really kind of sort through and figure out, well, you know, does that criteria actually apply to me? And then for this episode and at least the next one, we'll see we're kind of starting a new series here. We're going to go back to it and talk about some financial tips for for snowboarding. And then uh, we're also going to go through Ohio specifically next time about how you need to go ahead and dot some I's and cross some T's to make sure you can avail yourself of some of the benefits of doing so
0: like with anything, this certainly takes planning if you want to do it efficiently and do it the right way and also I think maximize your opportunity. I'm sure that's something that you found when you were kind of trying things out for that month trial run in South Carolina before you then figured, hey, let's go down to Florida and try it there and you kind of not only a little bit of trial and error but just kind of seeing what you like and uh, just kind of doing your homework just like with anything else in life. This is an important thing to also do that with not necessarily saying, hey, let's go be snowbirds in Florida and buying a place and immediately moving there it's kind of nice to have that trial run
1: absolutely and you know that really gets into kind of the first tip that we would uh say so uh what we will kick off the list here is try before you buy so pretty self-evident in terms of the topic but you you know, go. And if you haven't been to a place in Florida, like we hadn't been to Naples. Well, we had been to Naples for, uh, for my business purposes, but we hadn't been there as a family. We hadn't spent a lot of time there. I was really just kind of staying in a hotel for a few days and more so inside the hotel and getting a little bit of the benefits about being outside. But Naples, at least particularly the downtown part, was really expensive. So that really wasn't an option for us. And I remember saying to my wife, there was a certain area, I'm kind of scrolling through Zillow and looking at, you know, cost of housing and what have you. And there was, I'm not going to mention the town, but there was a certain town that wasn't too, too far from Fort Myers airport, uh, which was a nice direct flight here from Northeast Ohio. And it was pretty cheap. And I remember arguing to my wife, I'm like, honey, it's the same sun that Naples has. It's just the real estate is like one tenth (laughs) of the value. It's the same sun though. (laughs) And she, you know, of course looked at me and just started shaking her head, side to side and not up and down. Like, you know, no way, <laughs> it's that price for a reason. And sure enough, after we spent some time in Florida, uh, that town is often the one that's on the news where not so good things uh, regularly happen. Um, so go out, try out a few places, You know, renting for if you're going to be a snowbird and renter, usually the seasonal rentals are for an entire month, if not for the entire season. So to get something short for like a week or two weeks, one, I don't think it really is enough for you to get a sense of the area and really see if you like it. It's more like you're just kind of on vacation rather than really living there. And two, again, you're probably, from a rental standpoint, you're probably gonna have to sign up for at least a month. So you know, maybe you're gonna go and, and check out Somewhere outside of Tampa, maybe you're going to go a little bit further south to, say, like Venice, Florida. Maybe you're going to go further south to around Naples or Fort Myers or something of the sort or, or even over the other coast. Or maybe it's not Florida. Yeah, maybe it's over to Arizona, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But uh, trying before you buy is typically a good uh, way to go about doing it. We've had several clients, however, that have a group of friends in uh, a location in Florida. They visited them there. They have that nice network already built in. Maybe these were work friends or church friends or even family members. So they kind of know where they want to be. They know what's important to them. They know they want to be close to their friends. And so they're really looking at, well, do I want to be in the same neighborhood or somewhere close by? So in a case like that, it's easier to justify just going ahead and and buying. I mean, nobody really likes to move twice. But uh, if you're pretty certain that, hey, these are kind of the criteria that's on our wish list and being close to friends is really high up there, then that really gives you a much smaller diameter that you're kind of searching for on the map so a couple things to think of there but uh, even with that if you're going outside of the neighborhood where your friends are every neighborhood has its own feel a lot of florida have uh, has these communities these gated communities and um, each one could have very different kind of look and feel, even though they can be adjacent to one another. So uh, it's still not necessarily a bad idea to just go in and rent and spend uh, you know, a month or even a full season there, look around at some real estate, kick the tires on the neighborhood, you know, all those sorts of things, drive to the attractions of the restaurants that you want to go to, see how the traffic is while it's in season, uh, and uh, just really home in if that's the right place for you. So, try before you buy is tip number one on
0: our four financial tips for snowbirding in Florida. Kevin, before we go too far down the road, I want to make sure that if folks are interested in learning more, if, if you clicked on today's show, I'm going to guess you have a slight interest in snowbirding. And we want to tell you a little bit about the guide that Kevin has put together specifically for snowbirds. So it's the Ohioan's Guide to Snowbirding in Florida. And this is something, Kevin, that you've put together to help people kind of learn all all the nuances, some of which we're going to go over on today's show, but all the nuances and things to consider when it comes to making that decision to start living part or even the majority of the year in a new location and uh, all the layers that are involved in that decision. And if anybody wants to get that guide, you can just look at the link that's in the description of today's show. You'll see a link for the guide. You click on that. That'll take you to a contact page where you can reach out to Kevin and request the guide. So just check the description of today's show for that. Or if you are Already on the website listening, uh, you can just click on the contact form at truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com. And for those of you who are old school and want to use the phone, that's fine as well. 855 TWD Plan. 855-TWD-PLAN. Call in and just request the guide. Kevin's going to know what you're talking about. If you mention the words snowbird and guide, we'll narrow it down from there and know what you're looking for. But I know that this has got to be the question on a lot of people's minds. If they're just thinking about this for the first time, they may not have researched it yet, Kevin. And that's when it comes to that decision about residency. Uh, you know, where do we, you know, if you start living in two different places for large chunks of the year, where is truly what you would call home, not only for the heart reasons, but also for the uh, tax implications and those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. So I can't tell you how often I'll hear a statement, something to the effect of, well, if you're outside of Ohio for six months, then you're a non-resident for tax purposes.
0: Yeah. That's what I was thinking.
1: Yeah. And, and that's. That's not, and accurate. you would be wrong. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, as listeners have learned, you know, details matter, and this is one of those areas where the details definitely matter. And, and there's, with any tax uh, situation, there's varying levels of risk. I mean, if you're a highly paid executive at uh, Goodyear, you know, local Fortune 500 company in Akron, Ohio, and you have millions of dollars in your deferred comp plan, and you are going to change your residency to Florida, uh, or you have some Options that you're going to take down there and exercise kind of post retirement. Well, Ohio's missing out on a lot more than if we're talking maybe a couple thousand dollars a year. So there's varying levels of degrees of risk here for sure. But in short, you can have more than one home, but you can really only have one domicile uh, for legal purposes. And this is where those details do matter. So one of the things and we're going to actually get into this in the second, in the next episode, and more in detail, because there is a lot to it. Uh, but I'll just talk about some of the more of the qualitative uh, and higher level quantitative traits about choosing your residency. So the obvious plus for Florida is no state income taxes. So for Florida, you know, you're not going to have any state income taxes. But Ohio has had decreasing tax rates now for several years too, and the top income tax rate is now just a smidge below 5% and if you have business income it's actually capped at 3%. So if, you know, if you're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars of income, that's certainly going to add up. If you're talking about, you know, $50,000 of income, probably not that big of a deal. Particularly if more of your income is comprised of social security because Ohio does not tax social security so in that effect you know you could have say a husband and wife with two good social security benefits paying you know somewhere north of $60,000 a year maybe there's uh, like another $40,000 that they're taking out from their IRA. So they are have a nice lifestyle, have $100,000 of taxable income hitting their tax return. But when you look at their state income tax return, it's really only the $40,000 from the IRA. So uh, you still got to kind of look at the numbers and figure out what makes most sense. Um, But uh, the no state income taxes for most people is, is quite attractive. One caveat to that, is that Medicare costs are generally higher in Florida than they are in Ohio. Uh, There's some other things that kind of go along with being higher cost in Florida, things like your car insurance or property taxes. Obviously, there's not not much you can do about that. You could have an Ohio car down in Florida, at least for a period of time, um, if you're gonna keep it down there and continue to pay like Ohio property and casualty rates. But your Medicare costs, uh, if you're, If you're again, if you're kind of documenting your domicile to be Florida, and being a non-resident for Ohio income tax purposes, then the Medicare cost you're going to basically select your Medicare plan based on your location and your zip code down in Florida, so the cost could be a little bit higher. So in the example that I gave about having around hundred thousand dollars of income hitting your tax return, but maybe sixty of that from Social Security, well, it's it's very possible that the increased cost for Medicare could basically equate your state income tax savings by being a Florida resident in that case. So if that's the case, if it's somewhere around a push, you know why jump through all the hoops that you may need to do to go ahead and document your Ohio non-residency? So you got to look at the numbers um, and there's going to be different inflection points over somebody's retirement time too. You know I mentioned Social Security. For a lot of our clients, they're not starting that until their later 60s or maybe even as late as age 70. So if you have somebody that's retiring and becoming a snowbird, say at 60, they're probably going to have more taxable income in Ohio in their early 60s than they are you know, in their later 60s because of Social Security coming in. So there, you know, tax planning, we've talked about a lot in the last few episodes. You know, it's, it, it is a yearly thing that you need to be doing in order to make sure that you're not just paying your fair share and not anymore. And this is another example of that.
0: The big takeaway there, definitely don't just buy into the uh, six months in a day and you, you claim the residency in the lower tax state and boom, you're done. Not as simple as that equation. And as Kevin mentioned, we'll dive into this conversation a little bit more on the next episode. So if you want more details and more of the nuances that go into that conversation, Tune into the next edition of Retire Smarter, where we'll go deeper into that topic. So we've got our two financial tips so far for snowboarding in Florida: uh, try before you buy, and that residency decision and the things and elements that go into that. What's the third financial tip?
1: The third is know the flow. So uh, here we're talking about cash flow. So it, you know, if you're renting, it's pretty straightforward. It's just whatever your rental costs are you know, plus any travel that you may have back and forth, although you may already have a travel budget in your retirement plan. So you can think of it as just kind of using some of that if that is the case and it's more of a substitution or, or using some of that travel budget uh, rather than adding to it. Uh, if you're buying, however, it's it's going to be more complex. So we mentioned the communities again, there's a lot of, uh, and it took a little adjustment for me personally to get used to these gated communities in Florida. It we don't have that here in Northeast Ohio, at least not that I've seen. Uh, maybe there's some that are around that are kind of a few levels above my pay grade, but I haven't seen it. Uh, but you get down to Florida, it's very common, and I don't know the genesis of it. I would speculate that certainly I see some benefits to it. You know, you have people that are coming down for part year. Uh, you, the association will go ahead and make life easier. They'll take care of the grounds. They'll take care of uh, any number of things: um, you know, mowing, landscaping. They may include basic cable service or even alarm, alarm monitoring in your monthly association fee. Some communities even have, you know, a golf course and golf membership uh, kind of built into it as well. But it, it's nice. Whenever my wife and I, you know, pack up the house and we head back north uh, come April or May, then uh, we really don't have to worry about the grounds. We we do have a pest control service that comes around and sprays lots of bugs down in Florida and all kinds of other creatures. Uh, Walter, quick aside, um, going for a walk in the woods in Ohio is great. Uh, in Carolina is where you're at is great. You do that in Florida, we might not see you again. So be careful down there. Um, <laughs> the size of the mosquito is, uh,
0: I believe it's the State bird, uh, so you know you have to be careful when you get the, that that large of a mosquito <laughs> you, flying around. Did
1: you just say the mosquito is the state bird of Florida?
0: <laughs> I think you can also use that. Uh, Mainers also use that joke too. That the mosquito is the state bird of uh, of Maine.
1: You know, I, when I was in uh, Hilton Head uh, the first year, uh, you know, the they have the uh, the palmetto bug, and I, I don't know about you, Walter, but this palmetto bug sure looks a lot like a cockroach to me.
0: It looks a lot like a germ. <laughs> cockroach yes you're exactly right uh, my my dad is a bug man and so i mean he he's uh, he hates being called a bug man obviously so i shouldn't do that to him but um you know he's he's worked for a pest control company his whole career and uh runs a, a great pest control company uh in north carolina and um so I, i've gotten all sorts of good bug stories over the year and i can only imagine how good the stories must be in florida if they're as good as they are in north carolina where their bug season is really only you know it's half of the year not all year round.
1: Yeah. in, in our, our former neighborhood in Florida let's see we, we were kind of uh, the further inland you go from the coast certainly the more affordable the properties are and the more families that you'll find which you know having a young family was important to us but we were right on the the edge of of nothingness uh, in some regard it was kind of a protected swampland and uh, let's see we had wild boar we had bears that came up uh, in the rainy season because uh, their hunting ground was kind of you know all uh, flooded out certainly you had a lot of uh, alligators and snakes and you know you name it. We had black panthers running through there. Um, yeah, I was I was not going in those woods, Walter. No, thank you.
0: Um, armadillos. You know you just got all sorts of stuff down. And my uh, uh, I had a great uh, great aunt who lived in Orlando and she had a essentially like an armadillo for a pet. It basically lived in her backyard and was always hanging out and hanging around. It's like I didn't know Florida had armadillos. It's you know, I thought that was a more of a Texas only kind of thing so that they literally have at least one of everything in Florida. I'm pretty convinced.
1: <laughs> well, and if they didn't have it, you get some more on that brings it there. Like these Burmese right. pythons, the pythons. <laughs> yeah. <yes. laughs> and then it just starts taking over the Everglades and eating all the alligators, which is not necessarily a bad thing in my book, but, um, the, yeah, I don't get these wild pet people. Um, if there is a wild pet person that's listening to this, uh, don't call my office. I don't want anything showing up here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Um, keep, keep it in Florida just you know away from the
1: slice where Kevin visits (laughs) (laughs) so we have these uh, association taking care of this stuff we have the pest control you know that's could certainly be built in as well Um, you know if you do have a pool certainly you you could maintain it while you're there or if you're not there just to make sure you don't come back to a green pool and then maybe you need to have somebody come in but you add all these up and these are going to be your uh, your carrying costs all the stuff the Association does your HOA fee The other stuff that you pick up, your property taxes, insurance, utility bills, maybe a home watch service. Uh, So just to have somebody, some boots on the ground, kind of walking through your property and checking it out. Some people don't do that. Um, There's a lot of technology that you can use these days to keep an eye on your property as well. Uh, whether it's, you know, you see those ring doorbells or some cameras on the inside. Uh, I know some people that use a home watch service will will, will have somebody that, you know, literally goes through their house, say, twice a month or something like that, and others will just use technology, but, you know, whatever works for you. Uh, So those are all your annual carrying costs. Those are the things that, you know, if you're in a home for 10 years, you're gonna have those expenses and they're gonna increase with inflation more likely than not over time. The property taxes are gonna go higher, the insurance is gonna go higher, uh, the HOA fees are probably gonna go higher, so on and so forth. So you need to know what those costs are Because after we go ahead and understand those costs, then we can fit it into our retirement plan. Um, But before we go there, one other thing to mention is, well, those carrying costs are annual and they're going to increase with inflation over time. Anybody that's a homeowner, you're going to have some things that maybe you want to make an improvement to your home. Maybe you need to buy furniture, though it's more common to buy furnished homes in Florida because of the snowbirds uh, kind of coming and going. Or maybe you even need, uh, well, hey, you know, I, I don't want to bring the car back every time. I'd like to keep one there. So, you know, rather than having a trade in, maybe I'm just going to buy, uh, keep the old car and I'll leave that in Florida and I'll just go buy a new one without a trade in. So, some of the costs that you're going to have are going to be more one time or infrequent. Uh, you're going to need to understand those, uh, but the carrying costs are, are going to be uh, even more important since that's a year in, year out thing. So, to do a brief recap, you know, the try before you buy let's choose the residency uh, really look at the numbers figure out what makes sense and this could be kind of a change uh, over time uh, as you go through your retirement time period and uh, your income tax situation changes you need to know the flow uh, and that's generally consistent of your uh, annual carrying costs as well as any kind of one-time or or semi-infrequent expenses that you're going to put into the home so now after you have this you really go back to your retirement plan, and certainly you've done some modeling already to figure out, hey, can I afford this? Can I do it? You know, what's my budget for buying a house uh, for the caring costs and what have you? But now basically you're you're kind of firming up. So you did some modeling, you kind of created a budget. Now you're going back with the actuals. Uh, so one of the things that uh, when you think of net impact to your retirement plan, I'll just kind of walk you through a simple example, and then we'll talk about uh, a little bit more complexities upon that, but. Let's say that you have cash in the bank, uh, so you have $300,000 just sitting there that you've already kind of set aside for your new Florida home. So Walter, what's cash in the bank paying you these days? still less than a percent these days? It's pretty low. Uh, certainly yeah. some people are, are, are much lower than that. I mean, if you're kind of hunting, you can get maybe uh, closer to 2%, but uh, somewhere around there. So maybe anywhere from you know zero to 2%, if you will. Uh, so if you go ahead and if you just have that cash and you convert it to buying the house, you, you still have an asset. Uh, it's just not liquid anymore. Now you have home equity and uh, it's illiquid and you can't use it until you sell it or I suppose if you did uh, use a mortgage in some fashion, you could take some money out. But uh, let's assume that you didn't do a mortgage. And uh, let's say that your home appreciates the same rate as your investments. So, you know, if your investments really are to say you're overly conservative, I mean, if anybody is listening to this and you have 300000 in cash, probably not the most appropriate thing. Sure, if you're Bill Gates, uh, it's just a rounding error, uh, not a big deal. But um, for most people, uh, I can't think of any client that we have that, well, I can think of maybe one or two that has that amount of money in cash. But definitely atypical, not the norm, pretty low uh, rate of return, very conservative, but very low rate of return and tax inefficient. So if that's kind of your hurdle rate, let's just say it's 2%, and the home appreciates at 2%, and you use the home for, say, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, then you sell the home and now the proceeds come back into your plan and you can use that for spending in your later years of retirement. Well, the only true net cost that you had over those 10 to 20 years is really just the carrying cost. You know, your cost for the home itself, the 300000 you did not lose that money. It just converted from a liquid asset to an illiquid asset. But then that asset grew at about the same rate as your investment. So that part of it was a wash, the part that really... Really cost you, or the one-time cost to to get into it, um, to update it, to buy your furniture, whatever, as well as the annual caring cost. So I, that's an important concept. Uh, a lot of people. Just seem to struggle with how how is this actually going to happen for me in my retirement plan? How would I do it? So I'll often start with that simplified example and just say, "Look, you know, hey, it's maybe you have a ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollar travel budget. We already have that in your plan. So if you take this money out of your investments and you buy this property, and it, the property appreciates at roughly the same rate as your investments." then you already have the travel budget that's in there, so you can do it. Your plan already was, was working for it. It's just that you know, you're kind of converting one asset to another for a period of time. Now, there's certainly no guarantee that your home's going to appreciate, or you don't know what rate it's going to appreciate at, um, but that's a simple working model on how to think about it.
0: So the fourth step is to put it into your plan, see how it, it all works with what you've already got laid out and uh, you know have been planning for as you've been going through life and just now making sure everything comes together and is nice and cohesive. Good to have all of those things figured out, obviously. So know the cash flow and uh, put it into your plan being tips three and four on our four financial tips for snowboarding in Florida. I, I think I'm ready to go. Let's do it. I'm chilly.
1: Well, uh, I tell I'm you what, get let me warmer let, warmer waters. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds good. Well yeah, be careful about the water you go into down there. Um, <clears throat> that, that's
0: right. Just just the ocean side, <laughs> you not got the it. not the not the other
1: side. <laughs> um let me uh, go one step further from that last example. So let's say that um you know sometimes you'll hear this. We have a client that just bought a place in uh, Punta Gorda, Florida. And uh, they said that they actually wanted this to become uh, more of a family home. Uh, They have two boys. The boys are starting families. They're pretty excited about going down to Florida as well. They see it as a, a nice family gathering. It's right on the water. So they don't really plan on ever selling this thing. So who knows? I mean, it's just happening. It's kind of early idea stages. But let's say that that's really the case. Well, in the prior example that I gave, you know, you spend 300000 for a house, you use it for 10 to 20 years, and then you sell the house, and then basically you get the cash back, and so your net impact is really only those carrying costs plus the one-time expenses that you put into it. Uh, if you're not going to sell the home, well, that's a completely different retirement plan. Now, you know, you have your uh, uh, that $300,000 that's really not going to be usable from a spending standpoint to fund other lifestyle goals that you're going to have for just your, kind of your core basics, expenses in retirement, your healthcare, whatever it may be, it's just not going to be there. So it's going to put more stress on your plan. Uh, so you have to really make sure that you see that, Hey, can I really afford to do that? And, and frankly, again, these clients are mid sixties. Uh, who knows? I mean, this is kind of the idea that they have. This is brand new to them. Who knows how things may change on the other hand, something that could be more, common, let's say that that $300,000 comes out of their investment account. And maybe, let's say over time, their investment accounts are hypothetically going to earn somewhere around 5 to 7%. Well, if their home appreciates uh, only at, say, a 2 or 3% rate, then uh, the fact that it's growing slower than their investments, there's going to be a cost to that. So they're still going to sell it in this example, say ten to twenty years down the road, but that three hundred thousand dollars is going to be growing at a slower rate. So they're going to be—we uh, call that an opportunity cost. They're not going to have as much wealth as if they had just left the money invested, which again is completely fine. It's you know, retirement planning certainly isn't just about seeing how much money you have. It's about you know having the things uh, in life that are important to you and having those experiences and making sure that your basic needs are met and all that good stuff. Um, however. This is something that you at least have to be mindful about. So, if your retirement plan maybe isn't as well funded, or if it's well funded uh, before you go ahead and add in this Florida home that we're talking about, and then it's you know it's more borderline. Well, these are things that are really important for you to consider, consider thoughtfully and accurately, and model, and then also really have a predetermined game plan about hey, if if things don't go as well, you know maybe we've been uh, maybe we plan on having this. Florida home forever, or at least you know, well into our eighties. But you know, we feel pretty confident that we can at least do it for ten years. Uh, again, that annual planning, that annual updating of your financial plan, making sure that you're staying on track, um, doing the tax planning, doing the investment planning, you name it, doing it all that you need to do to make sure that you're going to stay on track and do the things that you want to do then if you find that you're going to have to cut it short well you've had that predetermined plan you've prioritized your your needs over your wants and over your wishes and for most people a florida home or a second home in general is certainly more of a nice to have but not necessarily a need to have so you got to understand the cash flow but then you need to really kind of put into your plan and then see what you know how that kind of works out and shakes out and have that predetermined plan going in about hey How's this going to work? And if it doesn't work out, what am I going to do in response to make sure that you know my basic needs uh, are going to be met and my money's going to last at least a little bit longer than I do?
0: Well, this is helpful information on today's show, Kevin. I know we're going to do some more episodes about snowbirding in Florida and uh, snowbirding in general just to kind of talk about some of the other nuances. But if somebody wants more information now, what can they do to maybe uh, get their hands on some, to find out a little bit more about these different layers that should be considered when it comes to snowbirding in Florida and beyond?
1: Sure. So uh, I would say a good next step for Pretty much most anybody listening to this is uh, I ended up writing a guide. It's called The Ohioans Guide to Snowbirding in Florida. So certainly I'm a, an Ohioan as well as a Florida snowbird. Well, I can't actually say I'm an Ohioan anymore. I am a, I've am. i legally changed my domicile to Uh-oh. Florida. So, you're a Floridian. <laughs> this, is, this is a bit of a teaser, I guess, going into the next one. Uh, so I wrote this guide, but there's a lot of details that go into it. Again, saying, oh, if you're just out of the state for six months, then you're fine. Um, that's not true. Uh, so, you know, the, the states need money um, if you're in these states that, particularly with tax reform, um Some of the higher income tax states, there's more people that are actually flocking to Florida and other low or no tax uh, states. And so these states are getting more aggressive in going back and trying to uh, claim some, some money from uh, higher income people that are doing that Uh, so I wrote this guide. It kind of walks you through it. You know, I've had to figure it out myself. So after I figured it out myself and then helped uh, several other clients doing it, I just put it in a guide form. So if anybody wants that guide, you can just visit our website. Uh, there's a contact page there and then just go ahead and, and let us know that you're requesting, uh, the Ohioans Guide to Snowboarding in Florida and we'd be happy to share that with you.
0: And we'll put a link to the contact page there in the description of today's show notes as well. So whatever app you're using to listen to today's show, if you're not already on the website, there's a convenient link for you. Just check the show notes or the description of today's show, and we'll link you out to how to get that guide to snowbirding in Florida, specifically for Ohioans and covering some of the rules and regulations and details therein. Uh, we're also going to dive deeper into that conversation as we teased a little bit earlier in the show on the next episode of retire smarter. So come back and join us for a continuation of this conversation about snowbirding in Florida. Well, that's helpful. Thanks for the four tips, Kevin, and a uh, happy new year to you as well. And uh, we'll look forward to another good episode around the corner. Thank you, Walter. All right, take care. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll look forward to talking to you next time right back here on retire smarter.